Good evening, Abundant Life. This is Pastor Isaac. We're so excited to have you joining us for service this evening. Um, if you heard uh, last week or in our post today, we're going back into Answers in Genesis tonight. And so we're going to be doing a review tonight to get us back um, focused on the Answers in Genesis curriculum, thinking kind of again about uh, Creation Week and some of these things that are in just the, the very first book of the Bible. We're going to start there and kind of do a review tonight to get us all caught back up to where we left off when we stopped um, meeting together physically. Of course, we're so excited that you're joining us this way tonight. Um, like, share this video, help us get this gospel message and, and this apologetic teaching about the Word of God and why it is true from the very first book of the Bible. Help us get that out there. We can't spread this and get it to more people without you. You're the hands, feet, and the mouth of Jesus Christ. And so um, you're also the thumbs. And the way we share the news today is by sharing it online. So if you would, please share this video uh, with some of your friends. We'd love to have them see what we believe about answers in Genesis. Also tonight, um, if, if we have some questions uh, come in, you know, I, I know there are a lot of questions that we ask about uh, history, about creation. If you've got any questions that you've been wondering about, go ahead and feel free to comment them in the comments below on this video. We've got some people on our media team that are going to be keeping track of those. And if we have time at the end of service tonight, we would love to get the opportunity to respond to a couple of those questions if we don't answer them in the review we're going to be doing tonight. So we're about five lessons into this unit, unit two of Answers in Genesis. We've pretty much just covered creation week, the six 24-hour days that God spent creating, um, well, the whole universe. And so tonight we're going to review that creation week. We're going to review the summarized timeline of human history on this earth. And uh, if, if you didn't know this, we're really excited because next week we're we're going to jump on to the next lesson in this unit, which is dinosaurs and dragons. Now, I've been fascinated with that topic ever since I was a kid. I remember when I was like 10 years old, I had a dinosaur-themed birthday party, and we ran around, and my mom made these like paper mache eggs, and I thought dinosaurs were so cool. Loved watching like the dinosaur movies when we went to the library. I remember I, I would always buy the dinosaur books that like had the little pictures of how big the dinosaur would have been compared to mankind. What's really cool about this, and, and what we're going to see next week. You know what? I'm not even going to spoil it. You're going to have to join us next week if you want to find out what the Bible says about dinosaurs. So even there, I hope you'll invite some people to join you for that teaching next week about dinosaurs and dragons and uh, what the truth what the Bible says about them really is. Which kind of brings me to my next point and kind of the introduction to this review tonight. The reason this is all so important, the reason we teach this Answers in Genesis curriculum here at Abundant Life Ministries is because we know, I can say from my own experience growing up in the public school system and, and even reading in, in you know widely known books and textbooks and things like that, there are two different beliefs on how we got to 2020. There, there is a secular worldview of how we got from creation from our very beginning to today. You know, there is the view of evolution. There are distortions of what the Bible really says. And so we find it so important and so fundamental that we teach the whole family, from the youngest kids all the way up to the adults, the same truth, the same Word of God. I don't know if any of your parents know this, but teaching changes over time. You know, I, I know there's like the common core math thing, and because a lot of you are at home probably having to teach some of your own kids right now, I don't know if you're finding there's a clash 
flesh of this content that's been taught in the schools where, you know, you might have learned how to do it one way and now they're teaching in a whole different way. And, you know, the point there is that sometimes what's taught in the secular worldview, in the secular society, and even in our, you know, schools today, it changes over time. People come up with new ideas or different ideas or they find out something new that they don't know how to place with what they believed before. So they adjust and change what they're believing. You know, they come up with new theories, new thoughts on all these things, and it's a constant adjustment. Well, we have the truth that the Word of God never changes. We know that this Word is the same today as it was when it was written. We know that this is the complete truth, and we can put our hope, our confidence, and our trust in the Word of God. And so that's what we do in in everything, not just in the way we live our life right now today, but also in our worldview, what what we think about and believe about creation and about history and about how we came from the very beginning to where we are today. It's all right here in the Bible. All of those answers are contained in the Word of God, and specifically in the book of Genesis, we find a history of how we got to where we are today. And so that's why we're reviewing it. And, you know, I, I've been encouraging these last few weeks. We've talked a lot about prayer and building ourselves up, our spiritual action plan. We've been on that for a few weeks now. And uh, we've been emphasizing in that how it's important for family discussion, for, you know, discussion with your spouse or, or maybe um, even just a, a friend who goes to the church, you know, a, a member of your church family. It's important to have these discussions and conversations. And so one of the things we do with this content, not only what we've been learning on Wednesdays, but the answers in Genesis too, we want to take time to discuss these things um, between each other and especially parents with kids you know your, your kids while they're at home right now and they might not be getting the education that they normally would uh, they're just they're getting taught in school something different than what the bible says to put it very plainly the the school system teaches things like evolution and it really doesn't use the bible as a reference point because they say we got to separate out you know religion from our education system well i don't know of anybody who was around when the world was created and i don't know any way that scientists can accurately figure out what happened back then, but because we have faith, because we have a good God that tells us the truth and has revealed to us what happened, we can know even when everybody else is just guessing. And so while the school might not teach this, we do. And we want people to be biblically literate. We want to find our information, our knowledge, our worldview, and our understanding in the Word of God. Can I get an amen to that? We want our beliefs to be based out of the Bible, not out of a, uh, someone else's head, not out of a textbook, not out of a theory. We believe what the Word says. And tonight, as we get into this review, I believe you'll also see that there is, is nothing in modern science that contradicts anything that the Word says. All we have that's contradictory are theories. That's all that the world can come up with that would discredit the Bible. And so we find it so important that we believe the Word first, And then any theories that are out there, well, they have to line up with what the Word says because this is what we are totally confident is true. So with that all said, let's go into the Word tonight. We're going to be reading through Genesis chapter 1. And I don't don't know if our uh, Hank, our media guy here tonight, I don't know if he got Genesis 1, the whole book, put into the, the computer. I don't think he did. So if you've got a physical Bible or you're not watching on a cell phone and you want to pull that up, we'd love to have you join us as we read the Word tonight. Why don't you open up with me? to Genesis 1.1, and we're going to read here, um, and we're going to start by talking a little bit about God and what's revealed about Him in this first chapter of Genesis, and then we'll go on and read the rest of the chapter and talk about the six days of creation. I'll give you a summarized history of mankind, summarized up and easy to remember because it comes in seven seas. We're going to talk about the history, we're going to talk about God, we're going to talk about the six days uh, where He created everything. 
We'll talk a little bit about Genesis 2, a more detailed description, and then we're going to finish up with some apologetics. And then if we have time at the end of all of that, and anybody has come up with you know, some questions that we can take care of and answer, if we don't do it in the message tonight, then we'll go ahead and do a couple of those if time permits. And so let's get into it tonight. Genesis 1.1, would you follow along with me as we read? In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So evening and morning were the first day. Now we could go on and read the rest, and we will tonight as we go through these coming days that we're going to discuss, but I want to, I want to talk about a few things about God's character, about who we see him as revealed just at the very beginning of this. You know, we, we said at the beginning that God's word is true, and so every word that we read here, we're going to take it as the truth, and as we read that and take it as truth, we see some things about God. If he is the creator of all, and he was the only one that was present in the beginning, then we see a couple of things. Number one, we're going to see that God is all-powerful. We're going to see that as he created everything, any law that's present or, or any principle of the way things work that's present was created and established by him. Uniformity comes through him. Uh, we also see, and, and I'm going to give some supplemental scripture for this, and, and I just want to kind of get some of these general things out of the way at the beginning, and then you're going to see them pick up as we go through the individual days. Another thing we're going to see here is that creation was all made with a purpose. Um, that includes you and me, praise the Lord. We're also going to see as we go through these days that they were 24-hour periods. Some people want to say that it it was long gaps of time, or each day actually rep represents millions of years of history. Neither of those are true. They were literal 24-hour days. I've got some scripture to back that up, and then we're going to go through um, all of our days here. And so, you know, God, we see him, obviously, the very first thing here as all-powerful. Um, Isaiah 44, verse 25 is another scripture we can look to to see that quality of God. It says, who frustrates the signs of babblers and drives uh, diviners mad. You know what? I don't think I have the right scripture here. I'm sorry about that. I must, I, must, uh, I must have mistyped when I was typing it in earlier. But we know this. God is all-powerful. I mean, we, we don't even need the supplemental scripture if we just look at Genesis 1-1. God created the heavens and the earth. I mean, what more power could there possibly be than the one who created everything that we know and see? You know, I mean, I would not be here. This wall, our church, the people with me here, the, the technology we're using, you in your home, your home, your kids, everything would not be present if we did not have an all-powerful, all-creating God. And so praise the Lord, He is all-powerful. And the other thing I, I see right away here is that God establishes Himself as a triune being, the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We can pick up two of those right here. It says, in the beginning was God. God created the heavens and the earth, um, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. If we read on later to where he's talking about man, he says, let us, us create him in our image, which is a plurality, meaning that there is one God, but he is a three-part being, a three-person being. And so um, the, the way we get that third part, if we go over to John 1, um, and I'm not going to turn there, but what the Word says is that in the beginning was the Word, 
And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then later on in verse 14 it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That Word that became flesh and dwelt among us was Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so if, if the Word was in the beginning and the Word was Christ, that means Christ, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father were all present at creation in the very beginning. We see God, number one, is all-powerful. He created everything that's around us. Number two, we see Him as a triune being, a, a, a revealing Himself to us as a a, a, a God of three parts. And, you know, when, when I talk about the Trinity, what it reminds me of, too, is that Genesis is so important because right here in the beginning of the Bible, many basic doctrines are set. You know, uh, we, we have God as Trinity. That's established right here in, in just the first two verses of the Bible. We see God established as all-powerful right here in just the uh, very first two verses of the Bible. You know, I'm just going to summarize some of the other ones that we see throughout this first chapter of Genesis. We see, um, actually I think this one would be in chapter 2 where he talks about joining Adam and Eve together. But it's, it's, it's the doctrine of marriage. Man and woman coming together for a lifelong partnership is a very good thing in the eyes of God. That's a doctrine set in Genesis. Sin and death is, is put forth in the book of Genesis when man falls and sin and death come into the world. That's a, a doctrine that if, if we don't believe Genesis, literally, if we don't take Genesis as the true word of God, then I don't know where we get sin and death from if, if we can't believe what's written in Genesis. God's power obviously shown clothing. You know, it, kind of something I wouldn't have even really thought about on my own, but, you know, this curriculum brought it up. It's a good point. You know, I've never really wondered why we wear clothes. I've never really thought to myself, where, where does clothing come from? What's the point of clothing? Well, Genesis tells us why we don't just run around all natural, okay? It tells us right here that we had to cover up the sin and shame that we felt, and Adam and Eve did that because they had fallen away from life with God, and so a covering was necessary, a sacrifice was necessary, which even preludes and shows Jesus Christ coming as the sacrifice for mankind to take away sin, guilt, and shame. So we see a number of, of uh, doctrines established right here. Obviously the need for a Savior in conjunction with sin and death coming into the world. Um, we see even this, I think this is an important doctrine for us to note as we look at Genesis and, and later the fall of mankind, the corruption coming into the world. Another doctrine we see that's so important for people to understand today is that mankind has a choice. God put Adam and Eve in a garden and said, don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Give them one thing not to do. One choice that they had to make right. And unfortunately they made the wrong choice. But it, it shows us and establishes a doctrine that we have free will. We get to choose. And you know, I, I think it's easy if you don't read Genesis to conflate the idea that because God's all powerful, he's like making all the choices and making us like puppets. Like he makes everything happen. Well, that's not entirely, God. it's not true. God is all powerful. But he's also a just God. He's also a fair God. He's also a God of principles and rules and laws. And he gave us the, the choice. He gave us the ability to choose. And so, you know, people can't just blame God for everything that happens because he doesn't make all the choices. You and I make choices every single day and they affect our lives. And we can't blame God when we make bad choices, right? This is a doctrine that we see established right here in Genesis. As God creates everything, he shows himself all-powerful as a sovereign God, but then he gives man the choice of free will. And so right here in Genesis, 
We've got a, a, a great picture and imagery of the doctrine of free will and our choice interacting with an all-powerful God. You know, another thing we see about God, and he calls it out all throughout creation, he says that this is good. He says, I, you know, I created all of these things on this day, and it was good. You're going you're gonna to see that as we read tonight. It was good. A good God makes good creation. At the very beginning, all creation was good. And at the end, when he had made Adam and Eve man and wife, and they were joined together, he said, it's very good. You know what that tells me? God is good. And his creation is good. His purposes and plans and his design is good. The only time it gets bad is when corruption comes into the mix. And that's exactly what we see established here in Genesis. It's so important that we take Genesis as the literal, true word of God. I'll give you a quick history of mankind right now, and then we're going to start reading Genesis 1, okay? Quick history of mankind. We can um, summarize it in seven C's. The first one is creation. God created the heavens and the earth. We believe that was about 6,000 years ago. Okay, about 6,000 years ago, based on genealogies that we find throughout the Bible, God created the world a little more than 6,000 years ago. And then corruption happened just shortly after that. We don't know how many days because it doesn't say in the Bible, but we believe it was a very short time after creation that Adam and Eve were tempted into eating this uh, fruit of the knowledge of good and evil that they weren't supposed to. Corruption entered the world. Sin and death came into the world. And that's where um, evil started working in the world. That's where death started working in the world and where sin came in. After that, a, sh a short while later, it would have been about 1,500 years because I think we have it pegged at about 2400 AD, was about the time that catastrophe would have struck. That was a global flood where Noah built an ark, him and his family, and two of every kind of animal survived and would go on to repopulate the earth. So we have creation, corruption, catastrophe, confusion after the ark. Um, Noah and his family came off. This would have been a few hundred years later after 2400 uh, B.C., they came off, they started repopulating the earth, the Tower of Babel, they started building this great tower, making themselves, you know, they, well, they thought they were great, they were doing this big thing, they said, let us build this tower up to the heavens, there's nothing we can't do. And so God, in his justice and mercy, confused mankind because they, they had corruption building within them again, just like it was pre-flood. And so he confused them, rather than destroy the corruption, he confused them and they spread out over the world and set up boundaries. This is where mankind went from one central point all over the world, okay? So confusion happens, and then there's about a 2,000 year timeline where, not, where, where God's interacting with uh, the Israelites, with the Hebrew people, with his people that he had made a covenant with through Abraham, and then Christ comes. It's about 0 AD, right? Zero ish that year it was actually like 4 bc christ came unto the earth god's chosen son the word became flesh and dwelt among us lived a perfect sinless life and then about 33 35 years later he went to the cross was the perfect sacrifice for all of our sins took it on the cross buried it in the grave and resurrected again and then what we have to look forward to now is the consummation the time where where this all on earth is, is going to be done. We're going to go up and meet with Christ. It, it's, it's going to be fulfillment and kind of the end of this period of history where God created and then corruption and then, um, you know, catastrophe, the flood and then confusion and then Christ and cross and then consummation. And that's a, a brief timeline. So right now we're in between cross and consummation. We're looking ahead to the day when consummation comes and the work is, well, the work is done. 
We're, we're just waiting on the final like manifestation, the second coming of Christ, where we're reunited with him. Uh, the, the symbolism in the Bible says a bride reunited with her groom. And so that's how it's going to be on the day of consummation. And that's the day we're all looking forward to. Amen. Let's start reading a little bit more about the creation account, these six days. We already read this first one. Let there be light. There was light. God saw it was good. Divided light from darkness. Called it day and night. That was the first day. And I will say a couple things um, just about that day. So day one, um, day one, basically Genesis 1-1 through uh, verse 1-5, we see this. God created heavens and earth, which means everything that's out there. He, he created the, the expanse of our universe. Okay, created heavens and earth. Um, he created the waters, because as they were present, the Spirit was hovering over them. And then he created light and separated it away from darkness, and he calls that the first day. It's important to note, though, that light separated from darkness does not mean that the sun was created on the first day, because we're actually going to see down on day four is when the stars and the moon and the sun and all the heavenly bodies were created. That's important because the scientific way of belief, the scientific account, says that before the earth was ever formed or anything on the earth ever came to be, before there was ever light and darkness, there, were, you know, there was a sun or, or a star somewhere. That's the only place that light could have come from. Well, the Bible doesn't specifically say what the light on that day was, but it wasn't the sun. Let's keep going. Day two. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament, and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so, and God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. This used to really confirm me when I read firmament, because I, was, I, like, I always pictured like ground, or like dirt, something firm, right? Something you could touch. Well, this, this language that's described here, it, it, it kind of translates out this way. Firmament, an expanse, kind of a stretching out of things, which we see described here. He stretched out the, the one from the other and made a space in between, which he called heaven. Stretch these firmament waters out. What it basically means is the atmosphere or sky is what was created. He created a space that he would call heaven in which life could exist and live. So this was created on, on the, the second day. A place for life. He was already putting together the canvas upon which he would make his greatest creation. Which was, well, everything we see here. And us, which we would go on to be called his very good creation. Okay, so God creates this space, this atmosphere for us to live on day two. We'll go on day, uh, to day three here. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. God said that it was good. I love that God says it's good because it, it just tells me nothing was messed up. You know, if anything had gone wrong in this, he wouldn't be calling it good. So it was good. It says the, the, the waters divided off and earth remained. What I found so interesting in, in studying this out in depth is that the way it's written here on, on the third day is that it, it sounds like the earth was already present. That when he created the earth, it, the land was probably already underneath the water because when the water all split off and gathered together in their separate areas, which he would call seas, the land was already there. And so we see that land and sea separate upon our planet on this third day. And then he does more on the third day. He goes on, God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind. 
whose seed is in itself on earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. God saw that it was good. Hallelujah, it was good. So the evening and morning were the third day. And so on the third day, God creates plants according to their kind. This too is, and and we're going to kind of go back to this at the end with apologetics, but this is so off of what evolution would say it was supposed to happen. You know, for evolution, like everything out in the, in the universe would have been created first, and then some gases when stuff would have showed up on earth, and then, you know, maybe land would have popped up, and then we might have had like a cell, and, and like some kind of algae might start forming, and then something else, and like over millions of years, they would say, it grew into, you know, trees and grasses and all this stuff we see today, and then out of that plant life comes animals. Well, that's not what the Bible says happened at all. It says that on the third day, the same day that the land showed up, God put in various kinds of plants, herbs, it says uh, trees, grasses, these are different kinds of plants. And that's so important to the word kind, because one of the things we talked about in these last weeks is how, you know, we see so many variations today, but they're not all different kinds, and, and we do see different kinds as well. You know, he points out three distinct kinds here. He says herbs, grasses, and trees according to their kind. These are different kinds of plants. You know, I, I've never seen a grass and a tree like mix together and make some weird tree grass plant. You know, I even take this a step further. We can talk about fruit. I don't know if, if you've ever had like a mixed fruit. Like I know citrus um, fruits can mix. There's like tangerines and uh, pomelos. You mix those together, you get a tangelo. Those are good. I like a tangelo, okay? But let me tell you something. You can't mix uh, like an orange with, with like a raspberry. Like I, I don't even know what that could look like. It looked like a hand grenade or something. It'd be crazy. You can't do it. Because they're not of the same kind. So even within, you know, fruits, there are different kinds established. There's citrus and berries and all this stuff, okay? And I'm not going to go through naming all the fruits or all the, all the different kinds that are in the earth. I wouldn't be able to because I don't know them all. But there's different kinds established. Even science, you know, the science community that they observe that there are different kinds and then variations of kinds. So like we're talking about like citrus fruit, right? That's a kind. They can, you know, crossbreed, cross-pollinate and make these like hybrid mixtures. Well, you can only do that within the same kind. So like a tangelo would be a variation of a citrus fruit. An orange is a variation. A, a tangerine is a variation of citrus fruit. Citrus is the kind. These other like subspecies or, or subpoints, they're the variation. And so we might have tons of variations, but we only have so many kinds. All the kinds were established by God in the beginning. So he makes all these kinds, and this distinction is important because it factors into you know, how we look at all the kinds getting onto the ark when the flood came. It, 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 it has to do with like when no, um, I'm sorry, Adam, when he counted and named all of the animals according to their kind. Well, there's so many species of everything out there today. Like People would say, how could he, how could he do that in one 24-hour day? Wouldn't be possible. Well, if we're just looking at kinds, it's kind of possible. All right, that was a bad pun. But the kinds are, are part of the key that we read here in Genesis. When we look at kinds, it's a, it's a uh, small, it's, it's, it's a condensed version of a group of variations. 
And in, in science, they use the kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species way to classify plants and animals and all of these different kinds. Well, it's, it's kind of the same thing in the Bible. It's like, you know, there might be all kinds of different um, species, but they're of different families or different orders or different classes, right? And so those orders, those families, classes, like higher up, on the scale, that's where we're going to find our kinds. Where, you know, bears are a kind, dogs are a kind, cats are a kind. And so kinds are, they're important because it has to do with how many animals would have, would have been factored into this creation account. So we've talked a lot about day three. We've got to keep going for time's sake because, I mean, we've got six days to get through. We're only halfway there. Let's keep going in verse 14. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament. Of the heavens. And see, this is, this kind of helped me with visualizing the firmament thing. You know how I talked about, I used to always picture like a solid structure. Well, he's talking about, he's talking about space, what we would call space today. And he calls that a firmament. And so we see it's, it's just, it's, well, it's space. It's an expanse. It's sky, you know, atmosphere. And, And I know there's not, atmosphere and space necessarily but like it's it's an area a space okay and so he's talking about this again he says in the firmament of the heavens to divide the days from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years and let them be for lights in the firmament of heaven to give light on earth and it was so then God made two great lights the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and he made stars also let me say this too because I, I it just came up in me while I was saying that here we see God giving purpose to all of the things he was creating. You know, we might not see necessarily the purpose of like plants until we get later on and we see people, mankind, and all of the animals eating the plants. We know there was a purpose there. Obviously, there was a purpose in creating the, you know, the dry land and, and the water that split off into seas. Obviously, there was purpose in all of this, purpose in the day and night. So, in fact, he says, I split light from dark so that I had day and night. So that we, we had a, a measurement, a scale of time. And so everything God created has purpose. He made the stars also. And, I, and we kind of touched on this when we did our lesson on this day. That, that statement right there just again talks about how big and how powerful God is. He says, made the stars also. It's like, it's like an afterthought. It's like a, a kind of a, a little throw it out there phrase just to kind of show you how big he is. It's like, yeah, he made the stars too. You know, he's making all of these other things, made the sun, made the moon, made the earth, filled it with plants. Oh, he made the stars also. Yeah, all of those. I, I, I got a measurement here or, or an estimate. Astronomers estimate one billion trillion stars in the observable galaxy. One billion trillion. I don't know how many zeros that is on the end. If somebody wants to figure that out and put it in the comments, that'd be great because we'd all love to see that number. It's got to be huge. And that's just in the observable, what we can see universe. So many stars. And God says, made those also. You know, did that too. And I also think it's so interesting because of all, of all of the huge universe that he created, his attention is so much on us. And he's calling the creation and, and us, mankind, the very good creation. Well, if we're looking at the stars and he's just saying, yeah, I, you know, I did that too. That, did that one also. And then he's looking at us and saying, very good. My goodness. Number one, he's a powerful God. Number two, we, we must matter to him. We must be valuable to him. And of course, we see in the New Testament how valuable we are that he would send his only son to die for us. I mean, God loves us. 
And you know, I love, I love God because he first loved me, but it just amazes me that even here in the very first book of the Bible, God is revealing how much he loves creation on this earth and how good this creation was. I got to keep going. And so he, he did all of this, created all of these lights in the sky, um, you know, sun to rule over the day, moon to rule over the night, divided light and darkness. There it was. It was good. Morning and evening, the fourth day. Okay, verse 20, God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with uh, which the waters abounded according to the kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them all, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, let the, let, and fill the waters in the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. So the fifth evening and morning were the fifth day. Again here, and this is kind of getting ahead, but this doesn't line up with what evolution would say happened. The Bible says something different. You know, if we were to look at evolution, it would say plants, and then, you know, out of plants we get like little other cell organisms, and then we get like maybe some kind of insect or, or like tiny animal or something like that, and then out of those maybe we get birds, and then out of the birds maybe they morph into a, a sea life or something like this. You know, the creeping things, insects and these small um, land animals, well, they're going to come on the sixth day. So again, that's out of order. We saw already with, with the sun and moon and all the stars, that's out of order with what evolution would say. And so we see right here, I mean, the Bible is just like cutting up the evolutionary theory. So if you believe the word of God, you can't believe in evolution. At least not the way that scientists say it happened. I mean, I believe that God put things on the earth in an order but I believe the way Genesis says it, and I don't really care what scientists say because they're wrong. The Word of God is the truth. That's the end of it. The Word of God is true. And, and they can't, listen, the only science that can be proven, it lines up with the Word of God. Everything else is a theory. Everything else is a guess. Their theories and guesses, you know, good for them, but it, it doesn't line up with the Word of God, and so it can't be true. And that's, that's just it. Day five, uh, we see sea creatures and winged birds. I wanted to mention this, and if you want more info on it, you can go back in our, our um, sermon archives and look up the lesson on uh, day five of creation. But sea creatures and winged creatures. You know, it does say birds in the, in the English translation here. We went back and looked at the Hebrew word um, some weeks ago, and it is spelled O-W-P-H. I'm going to pronounce that oaf. You can do with that what you want. O-W-P-H is the word. It means winged birds. And we're going to look at Leviticus 11, 13 through 19 because this is important. And it's going to be especially important next week when we're talking about dinosaurs and dragons where there were these creatures that could fly because, you know, science has their thoughts on when dinosaurs and um, if dragons have ever been on the earth. Well, the, believe it or not, the Bible says something about that, and I'm, we're going to look at it next week, so you're going to have to join us, but we're going to set that up, we're going to tee it up with this verse in Leviticus 11, because on day five, you know, there were flying dinosaurs, okay, dinosaurs that aren't around anymore, things that we maybe haven't seen in our lifetime. Well, in verse 11 here, you know, it translates birds, but if we read uh, Leviticus 11 and we look at this word O-W-P-H and see it used in another context, what we see is it wasn't actually just birds, but it was really all flying creatures, all winged creatures. It says this, And these you shall regard as an abomination among the birds, 
the oafs, the winged creatures, they shall not be eaten, they are an abomination. The eagle, the vulture, the buzzard, the kite, the falcon, all of these after their kind, every raven after its kind, ostrich, short-eared owl, seagull, hawk, after its kind, the little owl, fisher owl, uh, fisher owl, screech owl, the white owl, the jackdaw, the carrion vulture, the stork, the heron, after its kind, the hopo, and the bat. Do you know that the bat is not a bird? But it is a winged creature. What this tells us is this word O-W-P-H. Look, I'm, I'm glad that we have an English translation of the Bible. But if we go back and look at the context it's used in, it means winged creature, not necessarily restricted just to a bird. Because, you know, some people, uh, if, if they were wanting to, you know, argue or, or, or say that the Bible wasn't right, and they were talking about, let's say, pterodactyls, pterodactyls, I don't know if the, you say the P or not. Maybe you guys can decide that in the comments. I don't know, P or no P, pterodactyl, okay? They were a flying creature. Well, the Bible doesn't say specifically when pterodactyls were created, but it does say on day five, winged creatures were created. I think you already know where we're going next week with dinosaurs and dragons, but I hope you'll, you'll come and listen to everything that the Bible has to say about it, okay? That's going to be the, probably maybe the last time I talk about next week's lesson, but I'm really excited for it, okay? you got to join us for it. Winged creatures, not just birds, but bats and any other creature that's ever lived that flew around was created on day five of creation, okay? That's all I'm going to say about that. we got to move on to day six. This was the fifth day, um, so now we're going on to day six. Then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind. Cattle and creeping thing and beasts of the earth, each according to its kind. See, I'm telling you, the kinds are important. Because we might not have had every species of dog. We might not have had golden retrievers and English Springer Spaniels and Yorkies and Poodles and Duchess... I don't even know how to say it. Duchess Hounds. I mean, like all of these dog breeds, they probably weren't all there on the day of creation. I'm almost positive that they weren't all there on the day of creation. But the kind was present. Canines... Like these dogs were there. And so kinds were made on day six, day five, um, and day three. All of these plants, sea, flyers, and land creatures, they were all made in kinds. Beasts of the earth, according to the cattle, according to its kind, and everything that creeps on earth, according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Trinity, baby. There were three parts to God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right here in Genesis um, chapter 1, verse 20. I lost my spot. 26. In our likeness. Let them have domain over the fish, over the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. The God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. God said, see, I've given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, every tree whose fruit yields seed, and and to you it shall be for food. So this little point here, at creation, everybody was a vegetarian. There there were no meat eaters. Yeah, even even those animals that, that all you can see is them like tearing down on like some beautiful little deer or gazelle. At one time, they were eating plants. They were vegetarians, okay? It was all given for them to eat. And and that makes sense with the word because the fall hadn't come. Death had not entered yet. There wasn't any death, which means there weren't animals killing other animals for food. Everything was a vegetarian here, okay? 
gives them uh, this for food, also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on earth, in which there is life. I have given every herb for food, and it was so. Then God saw everything that he made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and morning were the sixth day. So it was after this sixth day of creation where he created all of these animals, and then man and woman come, and that's when it's called very good. You know, if we even look at verse, um, it's verse 25, you know, that's after the animals had been put on earth. It says it was good. God saw it was good. But he doesn't say very good until he gets all the way down to verse 31 after it was all done. After his final creation, mankind was put on earth and joined together man and woman. It was very good. And so God's creation is very good. We see here all of, these, all of these land animals put on earth on the sixth day of creation. Even the creeping things, you know, these small, these insects, these things that crawl across the ground, which again, discredits evolution. It doesn't fit together with what the Bible says because they were made on the sixth day, long after, well, a day after the sea creatures and, and the uh, flyers and the plants had been created like three days earlier. I mean, it, it, it doesn't fit with what with what evolutionary theory would say um, happened. So now we kind of have this outline um, of what creation week looked like. We said also at the beginning tonight, these were literal 24-hour days. You know, there is a theory out there, um, one's called the gap theory, where there was just this huge, long, expansive time before any of this creation happened. Some people would say that's where the dinosaurs were at, we're going to talk about that next week because the dinosaurs weren't in there. You, you really need to come to next week's uh, Wednesday night. Exodus 20, verse 8 through 11. Let's talk about these 24-hour days for just a couple of minutes, okay? I'm going to try to keep this part to like two minutes. Let's see if I can do it, all right? Hank just like put his eyebrow up. He doesn't think I'm going to do it. Okay, Exodus 20, verse 8 through 11. These were 24-hour days. Um, some people would want to say that the way it's written here, well, you know, it's just, it's an analogy for an age or a long period of time. Well, if we read Genesis 1, it's a very, like, historical, very, I mean, it reads almost like a textbook. This happened, then this happened, then this happened. And so the way it's written is not, like, poetic in nature, where, where he's, like, using creative or illustrative language to describe something. No, it's very much like this is what it was. The word for day is yom, Y-O-M. The, the main translation for it is a 24-hour period. That's the Brown Dryer Briggs Hebrew lexicon definition for the word yom is a 24-hour period when translated here in Genesis 1. Let's read this scripture out of Hebrews 11. No, Exodus 20, 8 through 11. I don't know why I said Hebrews 11. Exodus 20 says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female, nor your cattle, nor stranger who is with you in the gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. What does that tell us? God created it all in six literal 24-hour days, because they make the comparison here. You take six days of work, and then you take the seventh day off to rest says it's exactly what God did. He gave us this model to follow, so we're going to follow it. So we believe what the Word says. We're not going to adapt it or try to translate it away to fit somebody's theory about how history went down. We believe that there were six 24-hour days in which God created everything around us. I believe He's powerful enough to do it. Don't you? Amen. Let's continue on. i got a few thoughts on mankind, and then we're going to do our apologetics. 
And if anybody's put some questions in, we'll, we'll take a look at those. I don't think anybody has, and that's okay, because I don't know how much time we're going to have left at the end. Anyways, I didn't think this was going to go a full hour, but I mean, I'm putting like four lessons into an hour slot, so I feel like I'm doing okay with this. All right, mankind. We talked about man a little bit. Let's talk just a few more things about why mankind was God's very good creation, why we've been differentiated from animals, because that is an argument that is unfortunately being used in society today. We're just glorified animals. We're just highly evolved animals. No, we're not. It's not what the Bible says. Let me give you a few reasons why we were separated at creation from animals. The first one, well, we've already talked about it a bunch. We were called very good. Those animals are just good. All right, so we're the very good creation of God. Another one is this. We were made in God's image. Doesn't say that about any animal. That's right. Those elephants, those giraffes, those tigers, those dogs, those cats, they were not made in the image of God. But you and me, mankind, we were made in God's image. We were special in this way because we were, we were shaped and crafted and created after the Creator. You know, part of this being made in God's image is that He gave us reflected attributes of God. There are things about us as people, mankind, that are so different than animals. You know, uh, animals, they don't hope like people hope. Animals don't have mercy the way people have mercy. Well, the way we should have mercy, amen. Animals, they, they do not have the creativity that mankind has. That's why we have, well, civilization and they are still living in the woods. Or maybe they're living in your living room where you're taking care of your dog like it's a person, but it's not a person, okay? That's fine. But, but they don't have the creative skill set, the creative attributes like God has. You know, heaven is described as a glorious city with pearly gates and streets of gold and, and a place where uh, Jesus has gone to prepare houses for you and I. I mean, it's, it's kind of like a much better version of what we've got down here. And it's not because of animals that we have civilization. It's not because of animals that we've got running water in our houses. And I'm glad that we have running water in our houses. I'm sure most of you are too. We have these attributes that are God-like because we were created in His image. We have justice. And we should, and I believe we do, have morality. Amen? You know, this is under attack today where people want to say we're just glorified animals so there's no reason for us to behave any better than animals behave. It's a way to explain away lustful desires of the flesh and say, you know what? I'm just an animal, so I'm going to act like one. Well, you know what? If, if I didn't believe that we were created different from the animals and created in the image of God and given the attribute of morality, I would agree with you. You take God and us being created in His image out of the equation and there's no reason to live with any kind of moral code. None whatsoever. If, if this isn't true, then we might as well live like animals because that's, that's all we are. But it's not true. The Word of God tells us we were created in His image. We have been given attributes of God. We, we were made like Him. And let me tell you this too. One of the other things that differentiates us from any, any other creation is that we were made to carry the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. We are the temple of God. No other creation does God come into and inhabit, come into and live, come into and change with the fruit of the Spirit. No other creation hears from God like you and I hear from God. 
No other creation is led by God the way you and I are led by God. No other creation was given his word to live their life like you and I were given his word to live our life. We are different from the rest of creation. Can I get an amen to that tonight? Hallelujah. We are different. We're created in the image of God. Genesis 2, I'm going to touch this briefly and then we'll finish up with the apologetics tonight. Genesis 2 is a detailed explanation of everything that happened in Genesis 1. If you read through it, it talks about how um, Eve was formed. It talks about Adam naming the animals. We already kind of touched on that tonight. They all came to him and one day he named them. And that only could have happened if they came according to kinds and not by the like millions of variations that are out there today. I think also part of that lesson, and you can go back and uh, watch it on the sermon archive, but he didn't name all of the insects, which makes up like millions of the creatures that are out there. So he names the creatures. Eve is formed out of his rib. We said in that lesson when we were talking about Adam and Eve, doesn't mean that men don't have a rib now, okay? It's, it's, like, it's like God performed a procedure on, I mean, that was like the first surgery, okay? Adam had the first surgery in mankind. God opened him up, took a rib out, and used it to create Eve. And then he woke up and yeah, he was missing a rib, but you know what? I'm not missing a rib. And, and we, we gave this example, like if I had to get surgery and I lost a pinky or something, and then I go on and have a son years later, I have no reason to expect that my son wouldn't have a pinky because it's, it's not about you know, what, what I lost in my life on earth or whatever like that. It, it's, it's about well, genetics and, and about creation and succession and multiplication. And what you know, comes from me, it, it may not have that same like something I lost in my life. And so that's, that's really what Adam giving the rib for Eve was about. I mean, it's, it doesn't mean that mankind's missing a rib. And if we look at skeletons of men, we're not going to see a missing rib there. And so when people say that, it just discredits what the word says because then it's like, oh, well, shouldn't men be missing a rib? No, it doesn't make sense. But if we read the word like a history book, it does make sense. So Genesis 2, it talks about all of this. Um, a couple other details that you'll find in Genesis 2. I already talked, Adam, Adam names the animals. Uh, the Garden of Eden was planted by God. It was watered by a mist that came up from the ground. Adam was planted in the garden as the gardener. This is where uh, really the first example of stewardship and domain come into effect, and we're actually going to have an upcoming lesson about that too. I think it's the one after Dinosaurs and Dragons. We're going to talk about stewardship that God gave to mankind, and so uh, that is an upcoming one we can look forward to as well. Adam was made out of the breath of life, 1 Corinthians fifteen I'm going to read this. It says, first, the first man was of the earth made of dust, the second man is the Lord of heaven. As was, uh, and as, the, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we are born of the image of man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. You know, this is referencing creation where God made Adam out of the dust and then breathed life into him. And so we, we know, once again, there is a difference between us and animals because in all of these other instances, God just he spoke them into existence. He created them. And we, we don't get the insight into this is exactly how it went down and this is how he made the partner for them, the, you know, the helper for, for this animal because they weren't the same. They weren't made in God's image and, and they weren't his very good creation, but Adam and Eve were. 
Eve was made out of man. Adam immediately recognized her as being part of him. Um, the partner, and we talked at the beginning about doctrines, how there are so many doctrines established in Genesis. The doctrine of marriage is set up right here. That is another thing under attack today. People don't want to take the biblical view of marriage. They say, why does it matter if it's one man and one woman for life? Why can't it be something else? Well, because God set it up. His very good creation was one man and one woman joined together for life on earth. We see that in Mark 10. I'm not going to go there tonight, but Mark 10, verse 9, Jesus talks about that too. He says that it is the Word of God. It is the will of God that when these two come together, they stay together. One man, one woman. And, and in fact, in Mark 9, uh, 10, 9, it says, What God has joined together, let no man separate. We get this, this institution, this doctrine of marriage right here at the very beginning of creation. And so it's still true today. It's still applicable today. It's still important today that we take a biblically-based look at marriage, and we see it right here in Genesis. Let's move on now to apologetics for just these last few minutes. I've talked a lot about the evolutionary theory tonight, the old earth theory, which would say that our earth is billions or millions of years old, that creatures you know, evolved over a, a long span of time. That's obviously not fitting into a biblical worldview if we read Genesis and take it literally, read it like it really is the history of mankind. And what we're going to see is God created the world in six 24-hour days, not millions or billions of years, and there was no long gap between forming it and filling it. We see it laid out right here in Genesis. And, you know, we, we could, and I think we have to an extent, talked through why some of this works. At the end of the day, it, it comes down to what you believe to be the truth. Like, what, what takes the highest priority in your life when you're determining what's true? Is it the Word of God, or is it some guy's idea? Let me tell you something. I will take the Word of God over any person's thought, over any person's theory. So I stand by this 100% of the time. And you know, as we look through the lens of the Bible, rather through the lens of a theory, um, what we find is it, at least to me, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, we've talked through these first six days of creation. Next week, we're going to talk about dinosaurs. And, and I was prepping that message this afternoon. Let me tell you, it makes a lot of sense. And it's pretty awesome. So join us next week for Dinosaurs and Dragons. I promise that's the last time I'm going to say that, I think. And so... Scientific theory, I already said this, it's only theory. You know, and one of the primary ways that scientists get to this theory of millions and billions of years is carbon dating, things found in rock layers, um, you know, that they say are millions of years old. Well, let me tell you this, carbon dating has shown errors in uh, calculation. In fact, there was, I think it's maybe Mount St. Helens, there was a, a sample taken from like a volcanic structure, something that had just been produced, and they did the carbon dating thing, and it said it was like billions of years old, and they said, well, that can't be, because we just watched it get formed like 24 hours hours ago. This doesn't make any sense. So carbon dating, it's got its issues. Um, it's not a reliable source, but uh, the word of God is reliable. Um, let, me, let me see what else I've got here on that apologetic point. Um, you know, I've already kind of hit this, but when you choose to believe somebody's theory over the word, what you're doing is discrediting the word. I kind of started out here, but the reason Genesis is so important is because it sets up doctrines for the Word of God, and if you can't believe Genesis, if you can't believe what God says about the beginning, then why would you choose to believe what it says in the New Testament? You know, if you can't believe how God created the world, why would you believe that He sent His only Son to die, to take your sins on the cross and redeem you so that you could be made righteous and live in heaven with Him forever? I mean, like, I don't get the disconnect. You either believe the Bible or you don't believe the Bible. 
I believe the Bible. I believe you believe the Bible. Hallelujah. We're a bunch of people that believe the Word of God. And so we never want to take some theory and, and put it on an equal playing field with the Word of God. Because what that does is it discredits everything that's in this book. Not just the stuff in Genesis, but the devils use this as a tactic to, to get people to compromise the word in all areas. That's why these, these doctrines and principles like marriage and morality and some of the other things we talked about tonight, that's why they're under attack and that's why they're being so compromised today is because people stop taking the word of God as the authority on every subject. But at Abundant Life Ministries, we take the word of God as the final authority on every subject in life. And we'll continue to do that because we believe it is the truth. Besides the carbon dating issue and, and the 24-hour creation, obviously I mentioned how there is a difference in how science believes evolution evolved and what the Bible says evolution evolved. If I summarize that for you, evolutionary theory says it was the sun, earth, moon, atmosphere, cells, plants, fish, insects, reptiles, dinosaurs, birds, mammals, and then man. Well, the Bible says earth and light were created first and water, and then oxygen and atmosphere, land appeared and plants were made, sun, moon, and stars, ocean life and birds, cattle, creeps, beasts, and man. So those don't line up together. So one's wrong, and it's not the Bible. Okay, let's keep going on a couple other points as we're wrapping up. Um, old, the old earth theory, this belief that the earth is millions or billions of years old, very new. I mean, like, if, if you're going to put your trust in something and say, well, you know, I just, I believe what has the longest track record. I'm, I'm going to believe what's, you know, been proven out. Well, you shouldn't believe evolutionary theory then, because that was started at about 1700 A.D., 300 years ago. The Bible, I mean, like, the book of Genesis, that would have been written like 4,000 years ago. Okay, so... I mean, if you want to stick with the, I believe, the long-standing, proven, like, track record argument, you might want to go with the Bible there. Okay, and, and if you're ever saying this to someone else, there's probably a more loving way to say it than I just did. So, so we need to use, you know, mercy and love and grace and let our speech be seasoned with grace as we present these things. I just think it's funny that, you know, people want to say, well, I, I believe what's been proven out over time. Well, it's like 300 years old, so it's really pretty new in, in terms of how old mankind is. I mean, if you believe the older theory that we're billions of years old, then, like, I don't even know what that, it'd be like point zero 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 something per like uh, of time that that's been believed with ours I mean like we've, we've believed it for the majority of existence okay so um, ours has a much longer standing track record up until 1700 people believe the world was about 6,000 years old you know, scientists will point to rock layers and fossils found within them and they'll say well this could have only happened over millions and millions of years of time where you know as time went on, sediment built up and it enveloped these fossils. And as they died, they just got planted in these rock layers. Well, there is another explanation that we find in the Word of God, which is a flood happening very fast, rapid burial, where things just got covered in water and mud. They drowned and suffocated in this mud. And, well, that's, that's why you find all of these uh, fossils all, all of these, you know, skeletons of animals that once would have lived deep under layers of rock. Well, all of that sediment that turned into rock, it accrued in a very short period of time, which would have been a flood. Um, you know, I talked about the class system, the kinds. That science, which, I mean, this is recent science, taking credit for something that the Bible's talked about for 4,000 years. I mean... It's like nothing new to Christians that there are different kinds and different variations. 
The Bible's been saying it since the beginning. But, you know, science comes up with a way to explain it. They, they have their little, you know, acronym, kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species. And, you know, they take credit for something that the Word of God had established long ago. I mean, really, it comes from the Bible. I already talked about the variations, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on from that. I talked about how we're made to carry the Spirit of God. You know, we have a spirit that's aware of morality, aware of sin and righteousness. This is why mankind has a moral code, and this is kind of where I want us to wrap up tonight. We're about done. You know, I, I already said this. If, if we are just glorified, highly evolved animals, then there's no reason to live any way other than animals. But we know we're not. I mean, I mean you can just... You, you see it. I mean, look at the difference between an animal and a person, and you see that we were made differently. It's not random. It's not chance. It's, it's not, you know, evolution randomly picking us as the species that's highly intelligent and has a moral code and knows about justice and has the creativity to build everything. I mean, it's not random. It's, it's not chance. It's not evolution. It is God, a good creator, creating very good creation in us. And today, you know, aside from the Word of God and Genesis specifically being under attack, you know, I, be I believe it goes on to what we believe out of the New Testament too. It goes on to doctrines like marriage and like morality and, and some of these things that have been established for such a long time. I mean, people want to throw it out today for, you know, their own reasons. People don't like things that are unchanging, and that's really what we're seeing today is people are wanting to twist and change the Word of God to, to make it fit into what they want it to be. And that's where we have, we can't compromise the Word so that the Bible fits into what we want it to be like. It is what it is, whether you like it or not. It says what it says, whether you like it or not. And I don't want to be someone that twists the Word of God so that I feel better about it. I want to know the truth. Because the truth will set you free, and the truth is right here in the Bible, in the Word of God. So this is what we believe. We do not compromise it. Even though the world may want things to change, they may want standards to change, they might want stuff to adjust and adapt so they feel better, or that they can do what they want without having someone tell them it's wrong, the Bible has said what it says, and that's it. You know, if the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles the argument. That is the last word on it, is what the Word of God says. And so today, as we live in a time where people want to compromise the word, want to twist the word, to make it be something else so it fits into a scientific view or into a social view or a moral view that they like better, we can't let that happen. And let me tell you this too, there is a loving way to talk to people about the truth we find in the Bible. You know, people are, people are excited to go out and share their opinions. I don't know if you know that, but I know that. People like sharing their opinions. And what we have here is more than an opinion. We have the truth. If I really love somebody, and this is an important distinction to make, okay? If I really love somebody, I'm going to want them to not just hear what I have to say about this, like in the way where, you know, they let me talk for a few minutes. I want somebody to like really think about this, really consider this. Really let God speak to their heart about this. And I believe there is a loving, merciful, graceful way we can talk to people about Genesis. Talk to people about the history of mankind. Where not only are we you know, proving our point or saying what we think about it, but we are leading people to Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. 
where we are giving adequate reason why we believe what we believe. You know, I, I ask that question a lot of times, and I don't do it in like a mean way, but if somebody's telling me what they think about something, I'll say, okay, well, you know, why do you believe that? You know, where, where does that belief come from for you? Because, you know, especially if it's somebody that claims they don't believe the Bible, I'll say, okay, well, you know, where's that come from? And a lot of times there's no answer. It's, it's hard to pin down where a belief comes from if your beliefs are changing all the time. Well, let me tell you something. My beliefs don't change because they're not based on what I feel or what I think or what I want. My beliefs are based on what the Word of God says, and this book does not change. So we have an uncompromising, unchanging truth that the world needs right now. Let's go out and share it with them. Are you with me? Do you believe the Bible? Do you believe what the Word says about creation and the history of man? Let's wrap up in prayer tonight. And I invite you to, I know we've gone actually a little longer than we normally do, but as we wrap up this review and get ready for our next lesson, I'm not even going to say the title, but as we get ready for next week's lesson, I want to encourage you tonight, let's, let's, let's just take a couple minutes and discuss this. You know, if there are questions about it and, and we didn't have time to get to them tonight, send them in, message them, comment them, and we'll reach out to you with the response here in the next couple days. We want to get those questions answered. I believe the Word does contain every truth. Let's just pray tonight and thank the Lord for the Word that we've been given. Father, I thank you that the Word is true, that you have blessed us so much, not only for our life today, God, but you have given us a record of what's happened in the past. Thank you for, for revealing to us how we got to be where we are today. For revealing not only how long we've been here, not only how long it took you, God, but also the process of creation. Thank you for revealing to us that we are different from the rest of creation. That we were the very good created in your image creation that was given dominion over the earth. That was given a, a plan here. Stewardship here. God, thank you for giving us every answer that we could need for this life. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would lead those that are listening right now, those who have heard this review and this message and are ready to go out and share the truth with the people around them, to go out and be the light to the world that is, is looking for an answer, God. I pray, Spirit, that you would lead them not only to the right opportunities and open the right opportunities to them, but I pray that you would also lead them in conversation and action. Let their speech be seasoned with grace and love and mercy, that when they talk to people about the truth, it would not be confrontational in the way that turns people off, God, but it would confront uh, views in a way that is convicting to someone that doesn't have the right view, God. That, that in their heart they would know that there is something more than just an opinion behind what's being shared, and they would be drawn to it as, as we are drawn to light out of the darkness into your glorious light, God. I pray this in Jesus' name, and I thank you, Lord, for a great harvest. We are preparing ourselves and equipping ourselves with the truth so that we can go, go and be the ones that bring the harvest in, God. We are them. We thank you that you have chosen us, called us, and equipped us tonight. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, church, thank you so much for joining us tonight. I hope you have a wonderful evening. We'll see you on Sunday. Be blessed.